chapter 12, we're going to look this morning at the Passover, the, um, not the feast of the Passover, but the actual Passover, when the Lord said, when I see the blood, I will what? Pass over you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And uh, one of the few times that in life people were thankful that the Lord passed by and didn't stop at their house. Um, I tell you what, I, can't, I cannot begin to imagine what, what this time was like after a nation had been through nine other plagues and tremendous devastation, national devastation. You want to talk about declaring a national disaster. I'm sure they probably could have, could have and would have declared a national state of emergency after any one of those plagues, much less nine of them. But then at the end of that to say, obviously God hadn't completely accomplished everything. Because you remember as you go through the plagues, and I didn't have time to really explore this last week, but as you go through the plagues, what you see is, over and over again, it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh was ready to let the people go on several occasions, and the Bible says that God hardened his heart. It's important for us to remember that as we look at this, and we'll get into this in just a minute, but it's important for us to remember that sometimes, whether it's in your place of employment or other people, different situations that you're dealing with, that even as we pray for things, we might want something right now, but if God did it right now, He wouldn't be able to fully accomplish what He wants to accomplish. And it may be your boss at your job, it may be your neighbor, it may be even a family member or something like that, that God would, for His timing and for His pleasure and His purpose, harden a heart, Because he's got something greater in mind down the road. And we just have to be patient and wait and continue to be faithful. God over and over again hardened Pharaoh's heart. And that caused God over and over again to continue to bring more and more plagues. And more and more devastation to the nation of Egypt. And then we get down to Exodus chapter 12. And we'll start in verse number 1. The Bible says this. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in in the land of Egypt saying... This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Kind of interesting that God says, look, what's about to happen is going to be the start of a whole new, new calendar. This is everything, even just the way that you kept track of your dates and everything else is going to change. It's about to change right now. This is going to be a new beginning for the nation of Israel. Brother, Brother Holford down here is probably saying amen. He said, eight weeks ago yesterday was the day, that was, it was eight weeks since he came back to the Lord and got some things settled with the Lord and got some things straight. And you know what? He'll always remember that date because it's a beginning, it's a new beginning. Kind of like when you and I, when you got saved, that's your spiritual birthday, the day that you were born again. And I don't know about you, but I just remember April of 1982 at 7731 Highway 21 in Amro, Wisconsin. That's where I got saved. That's where I was born again. That, and, and I've celebrated that 
ever since. It's the beginning of a new life. And so when God says this is going to be the new first month of the year for you, this is your new birthday, the new birth of a nation. Verse number 3 says this, Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an, for an house. If the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man, according to his eating, shall make your, make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. Ye shall take it out, of, out from the sheep or from the goats, and ye shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. So he's making a plan, and again, we know, and I, we, we won't take the time this morning to explore all these things, but of course, the lamb without spot, without blemish, a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice to come later on. But he commands him these things. He says, you're going to take it to the tenth day, keep it up till the fourteenth day. On the fourteenth day, everybody nationwide is going to kill their lambs. Verse 7, they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door posts of the house, wherein they shall eat it, and they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire, his head with his legs, and with the pertinence thereof. And ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning. And that which remaineth of it until the morning, ye shall burn with fire. And thus shall ye eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. I love that. He says, look, you're going to eat it with your staff in your hand, shoes on your feet. You're You're ready to walk out the door when you eat this feast. And there's a reason. Because the next day, that's what's going to happen, is you're going to walk out the door. He said, you need to be packed and ready to go. This is, you know, the first first fast food restaurant. I don't know. He says, you're ready to walk out the door. It's like a drive-thru. You're going to eat it and be ready to be on your way. For I will, verse 12, for I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both men and beasts, And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial. And you shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. And by the way... The Jews still today keep this feast of the Passover. And of course, Moses goes and tells the people and the people are obedient. And again, I I mentioned last week, it's interesting to me that one of the things the Lord mentions in there is he's going to go through the whole land of Egypt. And one of the things he says he's going to kill is the firstborn of, of, of every man, but also of every beast. And remember, we talked about the fact that they'd had the great moraine of cattle and the cattle had died and all these things, but... And over and over again, their animals, because it's part, a big part of their livelihood, had been hit. And now again, if there's any firstborn left of the animals, he says, I'm going to kill all of those too. All of these things, I look at this and I think, you know, it, it kind of reminds me 
of Noah when he built the ark. As far as God came to Noah and he said, Noah, I want you to build an ark. And Noah, you know, he gives Noah all the specifications and everything. And then the Bible tells us that it had not yet rained on the land. No, they, they'd never even seen rain. And so for God to say, I'm going to cause a great rain to come and you're going to build this and it's going to, I'm going to cover the face of the whole earth with something that's never happened before. As I read through the Old Testament, one of the things that continues to make an impression on me, and I just never had really looked at it this way, is how many things that the people of God did in faith because God said He was going to do something that He'd never done before. You know, we can, we can read the Old Testament and the New Testament and we can see example after example after example so that when God says to you and I today, you know, when He impresses something on our heart or the preacher preaches something or you see something in your Bible reading and God tells you to do something, we can read the Word of God and see, hey, He's done this before or something like this before and we have record time and time. You know, the Bible says these things are written for our learning. They're written for our admonition. I can read my Bible and I can see God has delivered people from way worse circumstances than this. Way more difficult situations than I've faced. And when God maybe impresses on my heart to do something, I can look at that and I can say, well, you know, it seems a little bit crazy. It seems a little bit odd, but, you know, every single one of these plagues that we see was something that hadn't been done before. And I kind of get the idea. You notice that the Bible says it doesn't tell us that there was anybody in the whole nation of Israel that did not put the blood on their doorposts. Everybody did it. And I kind of get the idea that it might have something to do with the fact that they'd seen the last nine plagues that the Lord had done. And they kind of like, okay, <laughs> hey, whatever you, at this point, whatever you say, do, because they had seen the, they'd seen some of the plagues be over the whole land and then just in the land of Egypt. And God had come through every time and done exactly what he said he was going to do. And so it's not a big stretch to now all of a sudden say, hey, there's another plague coming. This is going to be the mother of all plagues, if you will. This is going to be the final. This is going to be the one. You're going to want to do it with your shoes on your feet, with your staff in your hand. You're going to want to be ready to go because when this one comes... Pharaoh's going to let my people go. But he says, I want you to take this lamb and I want you to keep it up for these days and then I want you to be ready to sacrifice it. When you sacrifice it, everybody's to eat. You're not supposed to leave anything till the morning. Anything you leave till the morning, you need to burn it with fire. When I was growing up in our house, we had, uh, you know, we didn't have a lot, but I never felt like we were poor. But in a family of eight, and we lived in a small house on a dairy farm, and uh, I, I, I love where I grew up. But one of the things that I grew up detesting is leftovers. How many of you guys don't like leftovers? Okay. Here's what I discovered, though. I, I was never, growing up, I was never a big fan of leftovers. One of the reasons that I discovered after I became an adult that I didn't like leftovers is because in a family of eight at our house... If there ever was anything left over, it was because it was something we didn't like. (laughs) If it was something we liked, we ate it all. And so the reason I didn't like leftovers is because the only thing that was ever left over was stuff I didn't like when it was fresh. 
And so when my wife and I first got married, of course, you know, it's a lot different cooking for two people. You know, she grew up cooking at home and different things and all that, and she's an awesome cook. And so I would, I gained 30 pounds in the first three months I was married. I'm not kidding. I gained 30 pounds in the first three months I was married because I hated leftovers. And the food was so good that I knew I wouldn't like it leftovers. So I had to eat it all in one sitting. And so I would eat. I used to, every day, she would pack my lunch. And I, would, I took two lunch boxes to work every day to carry my lunch in. And I didn't want to eat that leftover either. And I certainly didn't want to bring it home and make her think that I didn't enjoy it. And I wasn't going to give it away to other people because they would have probably sent word back home to my wife I was giving my lunch away. And so I ate it all. But what I discovered was, if I liked it the first time, it might be just as good the second time, the third time, and now, you know, I, there's a lot of things I've discovered I actually do enjoy leftovers. It was just the stuff that I didn't like the first time was what was left over when I was a kid. And that has absolutely nothing to do with the lesson this morning, but I just thought you'd want to know that. No, but he said, hey, don't leave anything left over. If there's anything left over till morning, burn it with fire. And when I was growing up, if I could have burned the leftovers with fire when I was a kid, I would have done it, but I probably would have got in trouble. But here's the thing. God gave them some very specific instructions. He said, this is, how you're, this is the kind of lamb you're supposed to have. This is what you're supposed to do with it. Do you think, he said on the 10th day, take a lamb and keep it till the 14th day. What if they would have went and got a lamb on the 11th day? Or what if they would have said, hey, the 14th day, that's just really not good for me. I got something going on that day. I think we got a party at the house that day or something else. So we're going to do it on the 15th day. Or what if they'd said, you know what? We're going to not roast it with fire. You know, fire roast it. It kind of dries the meat out a little bit. So we're going to bake ours or we're going to put it in the deep. Or we're going to do something else. God was very, very specific. Yes, I know they didn't have deep fryers, but they probably figured out something else. But here's the thing. God was very specific. And if you read the Old Testament, when God told them how to do things, He didn't leave a lot up to chance. He, there wasn't a lot of things where He said, you know, just kind of figure it out. Do it however you want. As long as, you, as, long as your intentions are good, you can pretty much do it any way that you want to. God's not that kind of God. God is a God of order. He is a God of let all things be done decently and in order. He's a God of the details. He is in the details. Look outside. I mean, I love the color. This time of year, the college campus, which is where we live, is absolutely beautiful. The trees, full color, everything's just tremendous. And I love, I love the fall. But you can't look at those things And not think that God that created all of that is not a God of detail. The details are important. Here's the thing for you and I today. When it comes to serving God, the details are important. The details are important. For me and my family, the way that I raise, the way that my wife and I raise our children, the way that I serve the Lord, everything about what I do, the details are important to the Lord. 
You know, when I come to Sunday school class or when I go to a church service or whether you go on a bus route or go out soul winning, we did, I drive for teen soul winning on Saturdays or whatever else it is that you do, the details are important to God. And when I, you know, I, I love the fact, Pastor Wilkerson talks about the fact, you know, him and Mrs. Wilkerson, they'll sit down every week and look at, did, what did God do for us this week? Did we have any extra blessings? Did God give us something extra? Did God, and, and then through that, we figure out what do we owe the Lord. Why? Because the details are important. You know, when we want God to meet our needs, to answer our prayers, the details are important to us. If, if I need $1,000 and I pray about that and God sends it to my neighbor... Because he got the address wrong? All of a sudden the details are important. Lord, the need is over here and you sent the answer over here and that was a mistake. Or I pray for, have you ever prayed for something? You know, maybe you prayed for a new car and then somebody else got a new car that didn't really need one. Have you ever, have you ever felt that way? Lord, you, no, you, something got lost in translation. It went to the wrong house. We want our details to be important to God. But can I say this morning, God wants His details to be important to us. When we think about things, you know, when the Bible says, pray without ceasing, you know, evening and morning and at noon, praying, all, you know, we, we think about things like that and we say, and people, I, I know, I've heard preachers preach complete sermons on that and what exactly that means. And does that mean that I have to you know, pray without ceasing? Does that mean I have to pray once an hour? Do I have to pray for breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Do I have to pray? What does that really mean? It, I believe that it means that we ought to always be in an attitude, in a spirit, in a mindset of prayer. And as God brings things across our path, across our mind, across our heart, we ought to pray about it. But we, we see things like that. And when God says, whether, whether it's, you know, the Great Commission, when he tells us to go soul winning, God is a God of details. And so if I say, well, you know, I passed out of track last month. I don't believe that that's fulfilling what God commanded me to do when He gave me the Great Commission. He expects me to go and tell and teach and disciple. And that's what God commanded me to do. When God, when God said, you know, forsake not the assembling of ourselves together, He wants me to be faithful to church. When God talks about how I'm to raise my children. You know, God gives me a whole lot of information on how I'm supposed to raise my kids. And He gives me that information because He expects me to do it. He gives me all kinds of things in His Word. And as I was reading through this and seeing the different details, but God, for the children of Israel... I see over and over and over again for him, for the different leaders throughout the Old Testament, as he, as he does different things, what you see is he doesn't leave much up to chance. 
you know, if I feel like it, if I... What if somebody was having... What if somebody woke up that morning on that 14th day and said, you know, today's just... I just, yeah, I just feel kind of icky today. I'll do it tomorrow. Or if they had said, you know, I'm real busy today. I got some business transactions to take care of. Or I got this, that, or the other thing. I've got... God says, this day, this way, no exceptions... And the consequences, if you, you you understand, what if they put it on the two side posts and not the top of the door? What if they did everything right except that? So many things that God is very specific about in His Word. You know, I, I think about... I mentioned Noah earlier, and I think about when Noah built the ark. God gave him pretty specific dimensions. And I believe that Noah and his sons probably were pretty close on those very specific dimensions. I understand they didn't have laser measuring systems and all of that sort of thing, but I'll bet they did everything they could to be within the very smallest minutia of increments of inches or whatever, you know, a, a hand breadth. I'll bet they weren't off by a cubit. Why? Because Noah had seen God be a God of order and a God of the details. And I don't know, maybe if he had said, well, a little bit smaller, it would be a little bit easier, maybe God would have brought all the animals in there and the boat would have sunk because he didn't make it big enough. I don't know what would have happened, but I do know that if I was Noah, I wouldn't want to find out what would happen if I didn't do it exactly the way God said. But here's the thing for you and I today, oftentimes... We have a tendency to think for God when it comes to His Word that close enough is good enough. We have a God that is in the details. A God who the details are important to. And I want to just challenge you this simply this this morning. We need to do our best with the Lord's help to be a people that the details are important to. God's details are important too. And we need to teach our children that the details are important to God. It'll make all the difference. That's a difference between a church that is successful and a church that fails. A family that is successful and a family that fails. A home, a marriage, a relationship. that is The difference between success and failure is the details. Let's pray this morning. Thank you, Lord, for today. God, I thank you that you're a God of the details, but I also thank you that you're a gracious and merciful God. Lord, you have been and continue to be so, so tremendously, um, Lord, gracious to us and forgiving, but I pray that you'd help us not to rely on your grace and your mercy. Help us to understand that you're a just God. You're a holy God. You expect us, Lord, the, the things that you've spelled out for us to do in your word and the things that you lay on our hearts, the thing that you impress us to do. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to remember that you do that because you do expect some things from us. 
I'm sure that when I get to heaven, Lord, there's going to be many things as I, as I face you that I'll wish I'd have cared more about the details. God, I pray that you'd help us today. Help us to serve you in all that we do to the very best of our ability with your help. We love you. I pray that you bless the church service, Lord, in just a few minutes. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You are dismissed.